Listeners, start your engines. Franchise Detours, Episode 8. Rob here. Find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as crookedtable.com. If you can give us a rating and or review on Apple, we'd really appreciate it. It really keeps the show uh, growing and, and moving along so we can talk about all these exciting movie franchises. Speaking of which, this is the penultimate episode of our Chucky slash Child's Play mega series. We are closing in on the end of... Chucky's big screen journey thus far, and I was honored to welcome to the show Sandro Falce from Oldie But a Goodie on this episode to talk about 2013's Curse of Chucky. This is a this was another turning point for the franchise. We're entering now the third iteration of What If Killer Doll Possessed by Serial Killer, and it's an exciting one. It's also probably the one that the least amount of people are familiar with. This is the point at which the franchise went straight to uh, straight to DVD or on demand, wherever it was, but not getting a theatrical release, which is really unfortunate, as, uh, as Sandra and I will get into, because this is a really interesting film that, that really starts to bring all the threads of the previous five together uh, and kind of unify the franchise in a really interesting way. So let's get into it and find out exactly how writer-director Don Mancini pulls that off. Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. This episode, we are continuing our Child's Play uh, shenanigans, I guess, is what this this series is turning into, with uh, 2013's Curse of Chucky. And I'm honored to welcome to the show, Sandro Falci. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So... Tell people a little bit about who you are, your show, Oldie But a Goodie, and uh, and then mm-hmm. we'll, we'll dive into this this wild franchise. For sure. I've been hosting a show called Oldie But a Goodie for the past two and a bit years. And what we do on that show is we, we take a particular year of film. This year we're doing 1987, but last year was 84. The year before was 94. And we go through the year in the order that everything was released so that we're getting the same experience that like critics at the time would have gotten going to see every single new release the week that it came out. And we do reviews of it then. And 87 has been a rough one, really rough, probably because we've been self-sabotaging uh, the <laughs> movies that we chose and purposefully picking the the bad sounding options. But it's it's we're on a bit of a run of okay films at the moment. But yeah, that's that's what we do over there. Awesome. So as far as just transitioning into child's play, what how would a a movie about a doll that's possessed with the soul of a serial killer through the means of a voodoo ritual, how would that compare to some of the some of the 1987 selections you've been covering? Because child's play the first one was 1988. So you're not that Mm. far off. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely 
It makes a lot of sense seeing where horror was at at that particular time because it wasn't like horror as a whole, as I've found, particularly in the late 80s, was not taking itself seriously at all. We just had uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 earlier in the year, and that is where that franchise got, uh, well, I say got a little bit silly, but the second one is incredibly incredibly silly but probably not on purpose but the third one definitely like introduces some comedic elements and yeah it makes complete sense that child's play came the year after and then launched into what is one of the wildest horror franchises i think under the sun it, it, just every film is incredibly different yeah yeah absolutely and that's that's the big reason why I was like, well, that needs to be one of the first franchises we go for because every conversation, every movie is going to be interesting to talk about, even if it doesn't work for, for some people, even if at Child's Play 3, I think, and Seed of Chucky seem to be the ones that most people be like, yep, I don't know if this is for me anymore. And that's like their <laughs> exit ramp. I think those two tend to be the, the big ones where they're just like, the end of that iteration of the franchise. So it's it's fun that, you, that we're going to be talking about Curse of Chucky today. But what is your experience with Chucky? When did you first come across him and these movies? And uh, what are your general thoughts? Yeah, I've, I've always been aware of Chucky. Um, I know that for a lot of horror fans, Chucky's just on the side, not really a part of the big franchises. But for me, probably just because I've always been aware of the character, it has been alongside your Freddies, your Jasons, Predators even. In fact, I think I saw the first Child's Play before I even saw any like Elm Street or Friday movie, even like Halloween, which is probably my favorite. Like I, I, am, I have always been aware of this franchise yeah ever since a young age and it's also the first horror franchise right sat down and watched every film in a row which i don't usually do i've seen all of the elm street movies i've seen as many of the halloween movies as i could possibly stomach they get pretty awful after the second one but yeah child's play was the first like horror franchise where i was like all right i'm gonna watch them all and just see what happens yeah. So when did you when did you finally do that deep dive and go back and, and watch them all? Was it was it more recently with this iteration of the franchise or just as they were coming? That is a good question. I think it was probably like 2012-ish in the lead up to Curse. But I didn't okay, actually that's... watch Curse until Cult came out. I don't know why. I, from memory... It was just really hard to find in Australia, that movie. Like I couldn't find it online. None of the libraries or video rental places had it because they were all shutting down around that time. So I I just, I couldn't find the film anywhere. So I like watched them all up to Curse. And then I saw Curse and Cult in like 2018, I think it was. And I did a full franchise rewatch before that as well. So I've seen them all at least twice aside from Cult, which I have only seen uh, the once now. That makes sense. Yeah, I think for for me, I saw like the first one sometime in over the years. Like it's just one of those things like you were saying that you're just aware of Chucky. I think he really got and this is I made this argument on the Bride of Chucky episode that I did. I think he really got like got canonized in Bride of Chucky. Like that's the movie that starts out with the remains of the Chucky doll in the same evidence locker as Jason Voorhees mask and <laughs> Freddy's glove or whatever. Like there's all these horror iconography. And I think that's the movie that's like, Hey, we're in that pantheon. 
Chucky's up there. And then Seed of Chucky destroyed the franchise <laughs> for some people. I yeah. I think it's interesting. I think that movie is is some is had there's a conversation to be had. Obviously, we had a conversation on it for the show, but I, I think there's a lot more going on than people want to give it credit for. What are your thoughts on Seed as the directorial debut of Don Mancini, who's written all these movies, and mm. also as as Seed being the end of, of, for the most part, the theatrical release of these films. Curse is the first direct-to-video, which a lot of times is a, a little bit of a death knell for a horror franchise. It just like <laughs> goes there to die, and then just they just keep making them, and nobody watches them except the diehards. How how did how did you experience that transition from Seed to Curse? It's an interesting transition, isn't it? Uh, Seed is fascinating. It's, it really, it feels like the Gremlins 2 of the franchise where it's really not taking itself seriously at all, but it's also trying to say something maybe about sequels, maybe. And, and yeah, the way that Seed like wrapped up the theatrical part of this franchise, I think is I personally think is great. I'm a big fan of just like off the wall abstract comedies and Seed of Chucky 100% is that. And the fact that this horror franchise, this quite successful horror franchise, all written by one person, probably the only horror franchise that has kept its writer on for every single film. The -hmm. fact that it ended with this ridiculous movie where Jennifer Tilly plays herself, it's got that opening like impregnation sequence with weird 2004 CGI that does not hold up, but in doing so just makes it so much better. The fact that that is where this franchise ended in terms of the theatrical like part of it is just perfect i think i i love that but also i can definitely see how a lot of people do not like that movie uh makes complete sense (laughs) it's it's the closest it's by far the closest it gets to parody i think your gremlins Mm. 2 comparison is is spot on because gremlins 2 is essentially a a parody of gremlins 1 and so (laughs) Bride, uh, Bride of Chucky takes things comedic and and switches perspectives to Chucky and Tiffany. And then Seed of Chucky, it's Don Mancini being like, all right, I got the director's chair now. Let's see how far I can push this before people start protesting. Not my hashtag, not my Chucky. And, and I think he found out exactly how far he could push it. All the Hollywood inside baseball, Redman direct, wants to direct a a biopic about the Virgin Mary starring Jennifer Tilly, the John Waters cameo. There's the whole like Britney Spears thing. There's a lot, there's a lot to unpack uh, in that one. And it's, I think like you're saying, I think it's, it's fair if people are like, I don't know if I want them to take it that far. And you can see uh, in that movie where Mancini is just recalibrating after that film's box office and, and critical disappointment. Okay, so we still haven't seen Glenn or Glenda referenced, not, mm. not only appeared, referenced in any in, in either of the films that followed. You can see like that, that tone essentially dialed way back by the time this came around. And this oh, came yeah. out like nine years later. So there was a period where I think most Child's Play fans were like, I, I guess that's it. Or I guess we're done. We're going to leave with focusing on Glenn's soul being in this human child and that's that's the end of the franchise basically and it was for a while for like 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 almost a decade there was no more chucky that was the end and then 2013 this gets announced with fiona dorif brad dorif's real life daughter 
which is already skepticism sets in. You're like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> what Hollywood nepotism is that is doing its thing, basically. I think that's probably most people's initial reaction before they even see the movie. And no, seemingly no Tiffany, seemingly no, you know, no follow-up to the previous five movies. And at least that's what it appears. Because when I saw this, I watched Curse and Cult, I think a couple years ago, they were both on Netflix and I hadn't seen them. I actually hadn't even seen Seed at that point. So I saw these, mm-hmm. this, these seven way out of order the first time. And I didn't know that it was following those other movies. I thought it was a soft reboot. Is that something that you were that you were under the impression of? Or were you? did you know that this would build off of everything that had come before? I, yeah, initially, I think I actually found found out about the movie when I was probably like some YouTuber reviewed it or something. I had no idea that this film was a thing until I get someone that I followed at the time reviewed it. And I had no idea what it was. I looked at the poster and was like, that looks tacky and bad. The budget had been like slashed. It's maybe like, 15% the budget that Seed had. I really wasn't sure what this movie was going to be. And yeah, when you're watching it, particularly the first time, it does feel like a soft reboot. For maybe an hour 15, you're like, okay, this is just a slasher. Just a pretty, just a pretty normal, regular slasher set in a house with Chucky. It's the same voice actor, but nothing here really lends itself into the rest of the franchise. And then the final 20 minutes happen and you're like, oh, okay, no, this is leading somewhere. So yeah, the first time I saw it, I already knew that the, that cult was a thing that it it came afterwards. I think the post-credit cameo was already spoiled for me as well, which is the problem with watching movies. Well, after they have released, a bunch <laughs> of the twists and turns were spoiled for me. But yeah, yeah, how was that? Like when you saw it the first time, did you like? Were you aware of the cameos, or did you go in completely blind? I went in pretty much completely blind. I knew Brad Dourif was doing the voice and then he shows up in the film and some flashback sequences, like like the uh, photographs early in the movie where they're watching like, they're watching home movies of their mom who had who obviously just passed away at the beginning of the film, supposedly by suicide, but we'll get to that in a, in a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. And you, you see him in costumes with the long hair as Charles Lee Ray. And so I was like, okay, that's cool. They're bringing Brad Dourif back as the character, acknowledging the soul of that serial killer, maybe even from the 80s but they're not really bringing Andy or Tiffany or or any of the stuff that came before, really. They're just picking and choosing what parts of the mythology to pay attention to. And then that scene happens with Barb where she's like really looking close at the doll and she starts pulling on the, the paint or like the plastic on his face and slowly unraveling, revealing the stitches which yes. are which has become Chucky's iconic look ever since Bride of Chucky. And that's where I was like, oh my God, they are literally sticking to everything. Like that's the ballsiness of think of these two movies, this one and Cult, is that he could have easily just been like, 
okay, fans don't like that. We'll take a step back. We will do a base off reboot. And instead he was like, yeah, we're going to, I'm going to lure you in thinking it has nothing to do with those <laughs> things. And then by the end, Tiffany's going to pop out of the back seat and slit a, a, a slit a, a cop's throat. That's her, her hobby. That's like what she does in her downtime, basically. And we're going to be right back in it. You're going to be right back in uh, at Andy's house by the, the, po- the post credit scene. And so yeah. I think that's, this is the, this is the transition where, where under false pretenses, it, it sets up a reboot and then instead folds everything back around. And I think cult really cements that. Yeah. Which I think doesn't necessarily work if you are doing what I did when I first saw the movie and watching all seven of them over the course of like a week or two weeks, because right. you, you do and seed it, it with the cliffhanger pretty much wraps everything up, but there are some hanging threads in seed. And then you go into curse and it's almost like, okay, everything that happened before, doesn't really matter. This is basically a reboot. Just joking. No, it isn't in the final 20 minutes. <laughs> but when you're watching them all back to back, that perhaps doesn't work as well. It, it doesn't flow as well. But if you are watching it with like nine years since the previous one came out, that was a very smart move on on Mancini's part. And I think tonally, this movie does a lot to not necessarily reboot, but def- certainly refresh the premise. And, you know, you get with the direct-to-video budget, perhaps, it's, I mean, this cost, according to for, to the internet, at least, whatever that means, because <laughs> costs roughly three million, which is very slow budget for. I think Seed and and Bride were more like fifteen to 25, 30 million, because there yeah. was a lot more going on, a lot more locations, a lot more dolls, a lot more effects. It's particularly in Seed, and in you know, in some places, I think that's a negative, as 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 I've already <laughs> talked about. But um, <laughs> And this is essentially the haunted house movie of Child's Play. And so by taking the taking the doll, taking the the idea that that he did exist in the 80s, because they they always keep that thread going that, oh, that's a good guy doll. Those were really big in the 80s. A meta commentary on the franchise itself. Those <laughs> yeah. things were everywhere. Don't you remember? They were the real, they were a big thing. Till the grosses went down, essentially. Tapping into that that self-awareness that I think. The, the middle couple of movies really, really lean into. I think it's able to, to shift to a new, a new protagonist and strip away the humor and then let it lead, let it bleed back in there so that by the end, you're back on board with the franchise. It's like, it's essentially, it's, it's essentially like, like a, a crappy boyfriend or girlfriend who's like, all right, I'll change for you and changes. And then at the end is like, but I'm still me. I still got the work to do. That's still, we got to, yeah. I'm, I'm still the same person. You got to accept me for who I am or, or maybe this isn't going to work. <laughs> and I think I could see some people who were very, uh, very hesitant after seed seeing that as a, as a letdown, but I personally liked a lot of what Bride and C did. I really mm. loved Jennifer Tilly's performance in both of those movies. And I think Tiffany adds a, a whole other element where you have essentially a horror duo, which doesn't happen very often. And a, a, a murderous doll version of Bonnie and Clyde, particularly in Bride of Chucky. And I think that, that that's something unique and, and worth salvaging. Even if you're going to try and split the difference as far as, far as the, the, the two tones that were from previous iterations of the series. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it is quite a, oh, I don't know if I'd use the word scary, but that's probably just because I've watched way too much horror. It is 
probably the most tense, most atmospheric Chucky movie as well. From memory, Cult's not particularly scary. That's more of a high concept thriller. From memory, again, that's the one that I haven't really rewatched. But like at this point, the first Child's Play was quite tense, quite frightening in moments. But the other ones definitely led more into the comedy, definitely led more into the -the over-the-top kills. This one surprisingly is quite tense. The atmosphere is turned way up. As you mentioned, it is like a haunted house movie, particularly for the first half. I don't think you really hear Brad Dorif as Chucky until maybe the 15 minute mark or something like that. And that's when it starts to feel more like a regular Chucky movie. But until that point, you're right. It does feel like this spooky atmospheric haunted house film uh, which I yeah, which does I think, in my opinion, lend it to the title of probably scariest Chucky movie, maybe. Yeah, I I think I think that's that's probably true. There's in the first half because, as you said, Chucky's not really super super blatantly in, invested in everything yet. He's just they're still doing the game of oh, where did Chucky go? How'd the doll get over here? That thing. It leans a little bit too much on like jump jump scares with people finding the doll in, in, in opportune times and in opportune places. But yeah, it's I think it is roughly halfway through. It's that scene during, during the storm where Alice is, is under the, the, the sheet with Chucky and he's like, I'm scared, Chucky. Great moment. Which, yeah, you're like right back in it. You're like, oh, Chucky, we missed you. Yeah, but it's it's impressive to me that this is Mancini's second movie as a director. And it feels complete. Like, I don't know what he did, but he levels up as a filmmaker big time between Seed and Cult uh, and Curse. Mm. Just because he, he it is so much more suspenseful. And and I feel like even the cinematography, there's, there's moments in Curse and Cult that are really creative ways of... Of, of presenting Chucky and, and building the tension and, and making him tapping into what makes that character scary, which is obviously the, the surprise element that this doll that you don't think is alive is actually hunting you. And, and it, it finds a different way, this, uh, this installment finds a different way of making the protagonists unreliable. The first three really rely on Oh, it's a child. He's it's an imaginary friend, that thing, right? And then the middle two, we're with Chucky and Tiffany, so it doesn't really matter what other people deal, what <laughs> yeah. other people's deal is. It's like they're there, yeah, that's cool. But it's Chucky and Tiffany are are our entry point, really. And mm. then here they lean into with with Nika's mom in the very beginning sequence, with certainly in in cult with. Nika and everyone in an asylum, essentially, like a mental hospital, I think it really leans more on the mental instability of it all. And Mm. so you have everyone doubting Nika just because of the trauma that she's been through, that maybe her her grasp on reality is is slipping. Later in the movie, I I, I forgot this too when I rewatched it for this episode, Ian, her her brother-in-law, 
just essentially lets her die thinking that she's killed everyone in the house basically. And I remember that being such a, that's such a horrific situation to be in, not only as a kid where you're like, this doll said this, or this doll pushed the babysitter out the window or whatever it is, but to be a grown woman and have everyone turn against you because the impossibility of a killer doll on the loose in your childhood home, that was definitely one of the more terrifying sequences. Meanwhile, Chucky is in the car, smiling at her while she's passing out. And and the movie does, a there's a lot of sequences like that where it's like, tension just mounting in different directions. Chucky's in the car. He's got the, he's started the engine. So make it look like Nika's trying to kill herself. They established (laughs) earlier, she's got a heart condition. And so it's like something's going to give at at any moment. And I think it's, it's really masterful. Some of the sequences in here that that it is. Yeah. You are right though, in terms of jump scares, that was one thing that I did notice was, a very heavy reliance on particularly fake out jump scares. I don't mind jump scares if uh, there is actually something to jump about. Um, Like for example, the the haunting of Hill house and really anything that, that Mike Flanagan does like handles jump scares really well, particularly that one episode of Hill house. I think it might be episode eight with probably the best jump scare in jump scare history, but with fake out jump scares, like the jump scan noise and then a cat runs out. That always feels quite cheap. You can maybe get away with yeah. like one or two of them in a movie. There's probably like 10 or something in, 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 in curse. And that is definitely, yeah. One of my big issues with the movie is, is the heavy reliance on jump scares. But at the same time, I think the score and the audio aside from those moments is really solid, particularly during the, the storm moments there are some sequences where it's pretty obvious that the storm isn't there and they're just kind of shaking the camera and putting cg rain over (laughs) over everything that's (laughs) happening but the sound design of the movie is excellent again the moment in the elevator i think is another great moment where the sound really comes through but yes probably too many jump scares (laughs) But then I, I understand to an extent why he knew he felt he needed to do that. If he's resetting the tone and and easing people back into it, you can't he can't play his hand too early and have Chucky and Tiffany like five minutes in like he does in the previous two. It, it's got to he's trying to take it lean into the Chucky thing all over again. And I feel like that wouldn't work if Fiona Dorif wasn't so strong in this movie. Oh, so yeah. what, are, what are your thoughts on on her coming into this being, aside from being Brad Dourif's daughter, being relatively unknown, certainly new to the franchise and and how she she brings that element in. I Once I realized she was his daughter, I thought they were going to have it be that Charles Lee Ray had a daughter and I'm glad that they didn't play it that, that obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm quite glad as well. I think I was, I think I was aware because a cult came out, was that 2017? Yes. So I was aware of her from Dirk Gently. I think she was in the first season of the BBC America Dirk Gently show the year before or something. So I was already quite aware of as as a performer. Obviously, this came out 2013. So this is 
pre-Dirk Gently, but at the time when I saw it, I was already yeah, aware of her work. But in that show, she definitely plays more of a... Is charismatic the right word? I don't know. More of a character. In this, she's basically a normal <laughs> sort of person. <laughs> and she's fantastic. I think she does a great job of... Yeah, like introducing that soft reboot element into the franchise, particularly in Cult. There's some great moments where she really does get to flex those acting muscles, as does everyone in Cult. But her in particular, her her performance in that film is excellent. And also having her need to use a wheelchair is quite smart on the film's part because the number one, I guess, criticism that a lot of people have towards just Chucky as the killer is, well, you can just kick him, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Once, once you know he's alive and and out for blood, did you just be like, all right, well, that's easy. Yeah. So that's where I think a curse is particularly smart in that, yeah, you introduce a character who Chucky is a pretty big danger to. And that introduces some very tense sequences as well also the moment in the elevator where he nicks her leg as well like mm-hmm. testing out okay can she feel pain in her legs yeah like her character as a performance and then also as a plot device i guess for one of a better term is is quite smart on the films on the, the, the film's part and then also like having the cliffhanger where she is found guilty of what they think happened also sent to the asylum that we see in cults really does show an element of this franchise as you mentioned before that we hadn't really seen at this point yeah and not only is is being in the the wheelchair she's physically vulnerable she's mentally and emotionally vulnerable her mother has just died they they establish very quickly the relationship between her, her and her mother. Her mother obviously has had mental issues as well, depression and such, which they get into way more later on what she's, mm. what her mom's been through. But you get that delivery man who basically flirts with Nika and her mom is like, oh, she was he was just being nice, very overprotective slash sheltering of Nika. And so you have that and then you have her sister coming in there and talking about selling the house because they're struggling financially, which which leads to one of my favorite jokes that they, Don Mancini can't help but slip some of that in there. So you get yeah. that moment where, where she says, oh, you know, we've been struggling. And she's like, you have a, a nanny. And she's like, Actually, she's like, actually, that that hasn't been working out. And then she says at one point at the, in that conversation, she's like, I'm going to have to send my daughter to public school. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that subtle, like class differential uh, humor in there. So I appreciate that on Don Mancini's part. And and yeah, so so her home threatened to take be taken away from her. Her mother gone on her own, having to prove herself constantly. And I think Fiona Dorov as this character who, again, we had never met before this movie, really comes in and she's so, she's I, she is charismatic and she's so headstrong and capable and, and trying to prove herself. And so we're immediately on her side. And not only that, she's in, she's inquisitive and she's like, huh, how did Chucky go from here? Like, she does all yeah. the stuff that when you watch a horror movie, you're like, how does nobody notice this? Like, how, why isn't somebody asking questions? Meanwhile, she solves the, sto- the, the whole mystery, like two thirds of the way through the movie. She's like, get away from the doll. It's there's a, I, the, I can't explain because it's going to make me sound crazy. You're already worried about my mental state. 
there's, but there's a serial killer inside the doll, got a history with our family. And you lead, leads to that great moment where Barb thinks she's talking about the nanny cam mm. that Ian uh, hid inside the Chucky doll. Meanwhile, she's talking about the soul inside that, like one of those great kind of horror misunderstandings that leads to a really intense kill. How did you feel about the way that 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 mounting against Nika? Because she just feels like the perfect final girl uh, for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. And yeah, yeah, I guess I guess the Don Mangini just can't help but add some meta into yes. the movie because everyone's like, okay, well, uh, don't go to the lake where Jason kills people because I'm sure that if you Googled the lake, you'd see heaps of people died there. What does she do? She Googles. She literally Googles what's happening in the movie and just gets a list of all the kills and locations where Chucky has been throughout the franchise. Yeah, yeah. She, goes to the, she goes to the Child's Play uh, wiki page and she's like, oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't realize I was in a child's play movie, but now I, I get it. This is yeah. stay away from the doll, everybody. Uh, but it's too <laughs> late. And and I, I love that element of it because if if Don Mancini had come out with this and it was Nika wasn't written so well, I think we'd all be like, yeah, okay, I guess we're back with Chucky. But now I feel like Nika is as essential to this mythos as Andy in, a, mm. in some regards, because she has also gone toe to toe with Chucky. She, Spoilers for cult. She ends up with Chucky's soul inside her body at the end of this thing. And so it's really cool to me that Fiona Dorif and Alex Vincent and other cast member Jennifer Tilly and Brad Dorif, obviously, are coming back for the the TV show that they're doing this fall. I'm really curious to see how that's going to work out because I really love Nika in this movie. And I think she was a, a big part of what makes this whole thing hold together. Yeah, definitely. And that's the other thing about Curse is this is probably one of the only Chucky movies where you really do care about the characters as soon as the movie starts. With the first one, you do have Andy and you follow him for a bit, but as a character, he's a little bit bland. You're just like, okay, we're we're following this kid because of the events of the first movie. So I guess we're stuck with him for a bunch of movies now. With Curse, I feel like it really does give you a reason to care about Nika and particularly going into cult as well. You're completely on board with her character, where she's coming from. They they set up all things needed to be set up in that opening just with the, the mailman. Like, really, like, that scene tells you everything that you need to know about who she is as a character. And then, yeah, she really is probably one of the, one of the strongest main characters in this series. And... I, is she the main character in the TV show? We don't know too it's much unclear. about it. This yeah. Point, they're doing what they did with Curse and they're bringing someone in and laying the rest of this franchise history over that. <laughs> I'm not exactly, yeah, it's not exactly clear to me how that's going to work, but it does seem like it's going to, it's going to acknowledge everything that's come before. And I think in this one movie, Nika's already made her case for for why she's so uh, she's so important. She and Andy are tied for like the, the Laurie Strode of the Chucky movies, essentially, at this point. <laughs> exactly. After, after yeah. Curse and Cult. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk about the kills of, yeah, let's do of, of Curse, because I feel like they are a little bit of a disappointment, I think. How did you f- feel about a lot of the kills here? I think some of them are some of them are are 
fun, but not as over the top as I think they think they are. The Barb's <laughs> death, that's fine. Alice is mine. Now she knows. There is no God. You have your mother's eyes. And they were always too fucking close together! I think probably the closest, the most interesting ones are are either Jill with the electrocution on the floor and the computer and all that happening like via webcam, and then and then Ian that you just get to see that one great shot of the axe coming down on Ian's like jaw essentially, and that's an intense moment. But other than that, yeah, it's it's much. Tamer is not the right word, but it's much less imaginative than some of the other ones, I think. Yeah, particularly compared to Cult, where you've got the yes. the glass shard. That that scene is beautifully horrifying. There's nothing here that really compares to that. There's also the 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 father in the car who's like who was in the car accident, and then uh, they remove the piece of metal keeping his head upright, and then it just snaps off. Which <laughs> yeah. is okay. There's a lot of fake blood, a lot of fake looking blood in this movie. I don't know if that was a budgetary thing. I feel like it probably is. I, I'm not sure if it's if it's physical blood or if it's CG. A lot of it does look quite CG, particularly the neck snapping the head moments that that looks incredibly computer generated. Uh <laughs> Which is a shame, particularly coming off of Seed, which is very silly, but a lot of the kills in that movie are memorable. <laughs> I I have to imagine, too, I had a note about Father Frank's death scene, because first of all, it really, I feel like if Mancini had a bigger budget, we absolutely would have seen that collision happen. It wouldn't have yeah. just been like, cutting to the car. Oh, he's trapped here. And this, it's like, remind me a little bit of uh, M. Night Shyamalan's signs where like Mel Gibson's wife is just like pinned. And it's like, if you remove, she's not, she's going to just, it's going to be over for her pretty much. And I think it's a little bit of that. And it's also feels like a bit of overkill that we have <laughs> this in this whole sequence with the, the dinner scene, which I think is so well done where Chucky sneaks in and uh, poisons one of the bowls of chili, vegetarian chili. They make a point about saying it's a vegetarian <laughs> chili. <laughs> <They do. laughs> uh, because Barb is like, is there meat in this? And so you get lots of misdirects of Ian be like, oh my God. I'm like, what is it? This is so good. And, <laughs> and, and Alice being like, this tastes funny. Maybe we put too much, too much oregano or whatever. I, I think it finally lands on Father Frank and he starts sweating and we're like, okay, well, I guess he got poisoned. So for him to get poisoned and then immediately run out and then have another death, another cause of death, essentially, I feel like that's a little bit, a little bit much. I, I get that it was probably done so that it would be more logical that they wouldn't discover that he was poisoned until later because they obviously yeah. just assume he just got in a car accident. 
So I guess that Chucky lucks out in that respect because they don't, the cops don't come by the house until much later when they discover what's going on. But that sequence is a little bit of what I was talking about earlier too. Not just the jump scares, but that is un, unsatisfying. And it's, he's the, the only yeah. major, the only death other than, I guess, Nika's mom, which we don't really see happen at the time until like the second half of the movie. And then it's like Jill and then Barb and Ian and, and it gets, like catches up pretty fast in like the last 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that he, Don Mancini, the, the seed is him figuring out how to direct a movie and how much he can push the comedy. Curse is him being trying to balance the comedy with the, the, with the horror and trying to win people back to the franchise. And then I feel like Colt is really his strongest accomplishment thus far mm. as a director, at least, because he does yeah. balance those things more satisfying in a more satisfying way. And I think the kills are, and everything are much more striking and, uh, as you are saying, horribly beautiful <laughs> in, in Colt than they are here, for sure. Yeah. And some of the editing as well, as you mentioned, we don't really see the father's death, which is a bit of a shame, but also Alice is just forgotten about when she's locked in the closet until the very end of the movie where she's somehow at the grandma's house there. Right. The editing, I feel like probably could have been a little bit better there. Maybe they didn't have the budget or time to film more with the actor that that does play Alice. But yeah, I, I feel like that as well was something that is a bit of a missed opportunity. We don't really see her again until the very end, which is a fantastic scene though, when we do see her again with the uh, with them playing a game of hide the soul, which is always a bit of fun in these movies. Yeah, yeah. Not so much so for Alice, but yes, for us and for the ramifications that that has. It also, to me, makes the the... Nika Alice relationship really way more tragic because you could tell early in the movie there's that such warmth between the two of them and then by the fact by the time we get to cult and we find out oh Alice they the Chucky like took over Alice's body did tried to pull off some crazy shit and got killed Alice got killed in the process I think it's it makes it like that much more horrible looking back like oh man this little girl got in, wrapped up in all this mess but to your point about this being the scariest i also think it's the darkest or the bleakest of of oh, the yeah. franchise because of the what it means for alice because nika is as you said found guilty for the deaths of basically her entire family we do get that like satisfying moment when she's like wheeled out of the courtroom and she's like i'm still alive you, you asshole like laughing at him and cackling and i love that she she has that whole arc with completion anxiety that she did her thesis on and how it comes back around where her taunting ta taunting Ch uh, Chucky that he never got to kill Andy, which again, tees up the post credit scene. Uh, so I love all of that, even though it is, yeah, it's the most downbeat ending, if not for that, that, that post credit scene, which we'll get to in a sec. Oh, yes. Yes, that, that post credit sequence is great. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're right. It is very bleak is this the first one that actually ends on a proper cliffhanger i think it might be well bride um, ends with the, the the baby being born i think that's uh, the that's only true. other one uh, yeah child's play one two three it's pretty much they just kept destroying the doll in more extravagant ways at the end of each movie <laughs> And yeah, they very much Bride, go down the the Elm Street route of okay, now we, we've got to kill the villain in an even bigger way than last time, <laughs> which exactly. is, is great, especially when we get to three. 
Exactly. Ride leads into seed and the seed could be considered a finale, especially since mm. they never followed up with it. And that's why I think there's so much, uh, there's so much potential for the show because here when Nika gets the doll, it was in an evidence depository when at the end of seed, Chucky got, uh, got killed by, by Glenn slash Glenda. And then an arm of Chucky's got mailed to human Glenn at the end. And that was the jump scare that ended that movie. So it's like something happened where Chucky's recirculated to the point that, that I I guess it's all was in an evidence depository. And then at the end of this film, we see Tiffany and Chucky obviously planned this whole thing to set Nika up to get revenge on this family. And there's obviously clues that something much bigger is happening, which we don't find out about until the next movie. So I feel like there's a lot of untold character Mm. history that for those characters, for Chucky and Tiffany, that I really like. I I think there's a real opportunity for Mancini to fill some of that in in the show. Yeah. And I, I love the idea as well of Tiffany and Chucky working together in so much as she just mails him to places. I think that's such a great (laughs) concept to just really just take the idea of he's a doll and just run with it in that. Yeah. He could fit in the mail. He's the only antagonist in horror movie history, perhaps the puppet masters or whatever. They would also count, but who cares about them? He's the only one who, yeah, you could just like mail him to a place and then he kills people. Then you get him out. Then you just like mail him to the, the next house. If there isn't, a montage of him just being mailed <laughs> to different victims' houses in the TV show. That might be a bit of a missed opportunity, but also knowing Mancini, that's almost definitely in the TV show. <laughs> but, and it needs to be set to like, getting down to business or something like that, like a very jaunty, <laughs> yeah. like like uh, upbeat, <laughs> just a montage of him getting sent places and then the, the house being wrapped in like crime scene tape and the next place. Because yeah, when that when that shows when that box shows up at the beginning of the movie at Nika's house, fans of this franchise know that box shape and size by now. And we're like, oh shit, oh, here yeah. we go. And it's like I, I I think I mentioned this on one of the other episodes. There is not another horror franchise that is so dependent on the USPS, where they're just like the postal service, they're the real villains of the story. If they would if they would stop doing their job. We wouldn't have this problem every few years. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The other, the other couple of things I wanted to shout out too, is there's obviously the retcon for not retcon, but at least like there's more backstory put in there for Charles Lee Ray. It doesn't conflict every, anything we'd seen before, like the existence of Tiffany didn't really conflict any of the previous information we had about him, but it does establish that he, he had like an obsessive tendency with families. He mentions in here, the Tillys, Mm. the Barclays, the Kincaids, all obviously referencing characters from previous movies. So he got, apparently was obsessed with the Pierce family and it is implied he was involved in the dad's death. Then he kidnapped the mom and had her captive for a while and caused the the injury to Nika in, in utero that led to her being born with that spine that spinal issue and not being able to. So I think that's, again, another, you make this dark character even darker by adding that he's like preying on, on children and families uh, in a way. It's a little bit, a little bit Freddy Krueger adjacent with mm. some of that, but I, I think it skates by and it makes him even more of a Charles Manson figure. And we get some of those, that, that really, that really interesting scene with 
Sarah, Nika's mom and Charles and I guess his house or whatever. And like the flowers are the yellow flowers are the only color that's that's in the scene. And you get some like some nice use of black and white and leads directly into his death at the very beginning of, of the original Child's Place. You did this to me. No, Nika. You did this to me. You and your mommy. She betrayed me. Got me killed. But I knew a way to come back. I thought all that was it was cool to see a little bit more of what he was like pre uh, pre Chucky pre doll exactly yeah especially at this moment in the franchise as well where he's obviously not a good person in Bride or Seed <laughs> but you are following you know his character and you are I guess relating to his journey maybe and so. For this movie to then remind you that, yeah, no, look, he's the worst. He's really bad, I, I think, was a, was a great move. Not a good guy. Uh, Hot take. Charles Lee Ray <laughs> slash Chucky. Not not a good guy. Not, not good. Not good. Un- unlike what the, his shirt says, his little overalls. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I, I love the, the misdirect, too, with Barb, Jill, and Ian, that it's actually Barb and Jill that are having the affair. Uh, mm. Because... It's you watching the movie initially, you just assume you're like, oh, he wants to sleep with the with the babysitter. Okay, that sounds about right. But then it it when that when it's revealed what's actually going on, it makes it that much more surprising just because you're bringing the genre conventions of like, well, the heteronormative mindset of these movies generally. And so I think that's interesting. Mancini actually, they've been doing a lot of social media stuff for for the show coming up and all that. And we're recording this in in June and Pride Month. So there was a video promoting the show where Mancini's talking about how like starting in Bride, he deliberately tried to like sprinkle some LGBTQ elements throughout the franchise and this is that the representation here in in curse of chucky we see that in bride and seed and obviously in this one Mm -hmm. and the next so i think that's that's it's he uses that in a really clever way where you just you don't expect that to happen in the way that it does there and i love the visual homage there's that scene uh, where she knocks nika knocks chucky's head off uh, and she's like oh that was it that was easy (laughs) which I guess he wasn't in that body long enough for it to start changing into like a human human form. Later in, in some of the movies, he he starts bleeding. He has, he has organ, like a, in Seed of Chucky, they open up Tiffany's like back panel, battery panel, and there's like organs pulsating in there. So I guess he hasn't been in there enough that his head can just pop right off. But the internal logic of this franchise is hit or miss. So you it get gets that great pretty moment. messy in these last two yeah, yeah. films. <laughs> But uh, you know, we're 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 tracking the journey of the franchise, so it's that's part of it, yeah. and not yeah. it doesn't break the movie for me. It's a movie about a killer doll. It's like it's fine. I, I just, <laughs> exactly. It's worth pointing out. Yeah, exactly. But the, you get that visual homage to Halloween, where his like headless body sits up in the foreground while she's like sighing, like oh god, so I can't believe I can't believe I, I survived that, and then he gets up and starts again. 
I thought that was really cool. There's every one of these mm -hmm. movies from Bride on where it also has lots of references to other classic horror and whether it's blatant in, in the text, like in the, in a line of dialogue or Jennifer Tilly watching Bride of Frankenstein in Bride of Chucky <laughs> or little more, more subtle homages like what I just mentioned. I think that stuff's really interesting, but, yeah. but yeah, so I think we should move into the post credit scene with Andy and then start wrapping this, uh, wrapping this episode up. But yeah, so six months later, we follow up with Andy and we get, again, in, in an instant, we know his mom's alive because he's on the phone. We know yep. the detective from the first one, Chris Sarandon, Mike is alive. And at least the mom's in contact with him, if not in a relationship with him. We don't know what the situation is exactly. And we see the pictures of Kent Military Academy. He's, mm -hmm. We see a picture of Kyle from Child's Play 2. We get basically every, it's basically the, the Don Mancini being like, in case you weren't clear on it, all that shit happened. Here's like an orgy of evidence that Child's Play 1, 2, and 3 are as vital to the franchise as Bride Seed and now the, the film you're currently watching. So I thought all that was really fun. We even see Andy watching cartoons, which <laughs> I thought was interesting in, in the fact that as we see him in cult, that he's dealing with obviously a lot of PTSD from being hunted by a killer doll multiple times throughout his childhood, which fair. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um <laughs> that maybe he's a little emotionally stunted and like hasn't fully matured as a well-balanced adult man, which obviously, again, understandable. So mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on that? The way Andy returns so quick and like quick and dirty, just getting it out there about his role in this franchise. Chucky shows up and he's immediately ready to go with the shotgun. Yeah. I, as I mentioned earlier, I was, spoiled for this moment unfortunately so when they were name dropping andy all throughout the first part of the movie i was like oh okay they're setting up his cameo so i couldn't go in blind for this moment unfortunately but it's it, it is really well done because like with the, the google search moment they very much let you know hey just a reminder first three child's play movies they are somewhat important for what you're currently watching yeah. they they did still happen and and then yeah to have that moment where you're in the house it's slowly reminding you of everything that came before as chucky is cutting his way out of the box i think is quite clever because they really do like just relay a lot of information in what two minutes it's quite a short scene yeah it's, they, it's very short yeah I think yeah. it's two minutes max. It's might might even be less than that. Yeah. Which is good as well. I'm a big fan of the character of Kyle. So it was great to see them referencing that also to set up that she is in the TV show as well, which I think is really fun. Uh, it'll be yeah. great to see that character again. And, and yeah, then, then the shotgun moment is a lot of fun. Uh, it's very well written. It's funny. It's it, it's shocking. It's a great moment just to end it. And just in case you weren't sure of like, is this the same actor? It looks like the same actor. But they could have easily recast for the shotgun moment to happen and then the credit to come up was it was just a great way to get you really excited for the for the next entry into the franchise, which didn't come until four years after this movie as well. It was a long wait before Cult. I think Curse of Chucky 
it did well, but it wasn't, it was probably more of a slow burn on DVD that it, they were like, do we want to do it another one? Is there, was it, was it, did it turn enough of a profit for us to pump them a few more million dollars into this franchise? And I ultimately, they, they decided yes. And I, I'm glad that they did because I think cults really delivers on the promise of that post credit mm-hmm. scene uh, and where it leaves Nika and where it ties back into everything that's come before. And yeah, you get that moment where you're like, oh shit, no, they're not going to kill. They're not, they wouldn't kill Andy like that in a post credit scene. Don't do him dirty like that. The original hero of this franchise. And then to have it turn around and like, no, Andy's a badass. Remember he went to a military academy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he knows how to handle a uh, firearm. So he's, with everything he's been through, I think he's you know, he's ready for Chucky this time around. And just having Alex Vincent back in that role in Child's Play 3, notoriously, they recast Andy because mm. it was a, like, I think the third one came out the next year, possibly even like nine months after Child's Play 2. And yet the timeline jumped eight years. So you had Justin Whalen come in as Andy. And I think that that was already sort of setting that movie on, on setting a bad taste in, in fans' mouths that you're just like, oh, yeah. okay, you're not even doing it. You're just like, nothing matters anymore. What the hell? Which is probably why Child's Play 3 is one of the less well-regarded of the franchise. So yeah. Uh, so yeah. yeah, it's just, it's great to see him back as Andy and, and I'm really excited to see what they do going forward. But yeah, and his performance as well, it definitely improves in cult, but he's really good, especially in the moment when he's on the phone, considering that he's acting to nothing for this entire scene and right. he hasn't really acted since child's play too. Like there's a long gap in his filmography where he just grew up and then was like, Oh yeah. Okay. I'll do curse of Chucky. And then came back into, into acting there considering that i like he he does a fantastic job in this post credit sequence and then again in cult it'll be great to see him improve on those acting abilities in the tv show as well because i think he's he's really good really funny as well he delivers the jokes very well yeah there's a there's a dark sense of humor that the character now carries and it shares with Chucky, actually. And then that they have this kind of uh, twisted friendship in, in some scenes in Cult, where which I think is really is really hearkening back to the, the original film and the Chucky in the fireplace and trying to appeal to six-year-old Andy's sympathy. And he's like, oh, come on, I'm your friends to the end. And, he's, and he has that great classic line, this is the end, friend, and drops the match <laughs> in there, which is epic and you can see how that little boy became this man and yeah. how now they're on an equal playing field chucky can't take advantage of the fact that 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 andy's a little boy anymore and so to see those two go toe to toe in cult and then hopefully on the show seeing how however that plays out i think it, it, there's it's so much potential there and i'm really excited to see to see what they do with that's another reason why i wanted to talk about this franchise too for this podcast is just one i think it's an interesting trajectory that it follows and two it's still going on remake or yeah. not this this franchise the original og franchise is still going on you got 70 something year old brad Dourif still popping out to do <laughs> chucky movies every once in a while and god bless them all they're doing it's 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 become a real niche horror franchise but it's it's fan base is still very invested in it yeah. so it, it it really has i i can't think of another horror franchise that 
has continued the same canon for so long, maybe Saw, but also uh, the first seven are one story and then the rest just go off and do their own thing. They're technically all canon, but, you know, it doesn't really count. And also this is all written by one person as well. Yes. He stayed. He's written them all. The only one with co-writers is the first one. And I assume the TV show as well, but that's just how, you know, TV shows right. work out. But um, uh, like the fact that this is all one dude's vision and he stayed on board for so long despite a reboot threatening to be like this we're taking over this is what chucky is now he was still like nope tv show time i'm <laughs> i'm continuing my vision yeah exactly um, do you have brad duraf do you have jennifer tilly alex vincent fiona duraf <laughs> like no decades of fan goodwill and like nah, i didn't think so they're like we yeah. have luke skywalker pretending to be chucky and they're like <laughs> Okay. Well, good luck with that. We'll do our thing. You do yours. Yeah. I, guess. I I didn't mind the reboot as like a twisted ET uh, right. uh, homage, maybe to eighties horror. I thought it was fun. I, I enjoyed it, but it's nothing <laughs> compared to what the franchise <laughs> actually is. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have, it doesn't have as much personality, as much vision as you were saying earlier. And, yeah. and I think the, the big reason that child's play fans are turned against the remake is because it's just it's it's an insult to the fact that the original creator is still involved and it's like it's yeah. different if if there hadn't been a movie since seed of chucky in 2004 then i think we'd all be like well yeah i get it everything's getting remade this is the world we live in everything's mm -hmm. a remake a reboot a sequel etc uh, <laughs> so of course they're going to get to that but 2017 the other movie just happened the plans for the show have been in the works for at least a, a couple years you know prior so it's yeah. not any something that was ever really dead so it, it just mm. it's just weird it's a weird decision it's 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 MGM who owned the rights to the first one and only the first one, just yeah. cashing in on that. So that's, yeah. it's business, I guess. That's Hollywood. So what do you And it, it doesn't look like we're going to get another one anyway, really, which is fine. It didn't end on a cliffhanger or, or right. anything. So, yeah. Yeah. So if there's nothing specifically about Curse of Chucky left, I wanted to ask you, Sandra, what do you think the legacy of this franchise is is whether it's the, just to cinema to the horror genre in general what do you what is the mm. legacy of chucky and the child's play series i think as yeah i was just talking about before i think the fact that it's the only horror franchise and by that i don't mean like the three conjuring films might be written by the same person i don't know but like it's not like uh, what i mean is like multiple decade it started in the 80s it's still going and it's all written by one person that legacy i think is is fantastic and is why i consider it to be one of the better horror franchises also the fact that yeah child's play three isn't great but it's not like nightmare on elm street six level of awful yes, like yes, it's not it's not the worst movie uh, to be made. It's okay. It's watchable. And yeah, it is a horror franchise with the worst movie in it, probably being watchable. It, it's one of the only ones that I can think of that's like that. Again, all of them 
Elm Street has got the sixth one, which I absolutely hate. There's so many unwatchable Halloween movies. There's definitely a bunch of unwatchable like Friday movies. For this to be in that conversation grouped in with those franchises, the fact that the worst one is still good really does say a lot. And at this point, Duroff has been playing Chucky far longer than Robert Englund has been playing Freddy, played Freddy Krueger. From yeah. 1984 to 2003's Freddy versus Jason. That's like, what, 19 years? And then here, here he's going on, like, what, three decades-ish <laughs> as, as Chucky? And he's still doing it? So, yeah, it's, I can't, there's might be another one. I, I feel like if there's another, there's probably another franchise where something like that happened. Maybe Anthony Perkins was like in Psycho in this 1960 and then again, oh, yeah. in like the 80s. So maybe that's another, that's not probably the closest one, but like with Psycho 4, I think in 1990. So he's, he's like, they're like neck and neck right now, but it, there's a, there's a whole show that hasn't happened yet. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. So your- and also like, it's cause like, I'm thinking like Hellraiser as well, yeah. the original creators completely disavowed that eventually the same with well the same with saw they haven't really said that they don't like the sequels but they're never going to make another one the original (laughs) creators so yeah like it's the only one that has you know kept up the killer the person that plays the killer and then also the behind the scenes team which is a massive effort and and just good work to all involved for them managing that. Yeah. Yeah. And most of a lot of the Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers, it's a guy in a mask. So it's a lot of times just either an actor or a stuntman or just, and it changes interchangeably a lot of the times. And the only people that know the difference are the diehards. So I think, I think Chucky stands alone there as well. So I wanted to ask you now, does this movie deliver on its predecessor? Is this a smooth ride or a wrong turn? And what is your ranking for all seven Child's Play movies. Oh, ah, I've been thinking about that all episode, <laughs> the ranking. I'll probably go worst, worst to best. Worst would be Child's Play 3. There's some fun that's, kills in that. Yeah. That's probably one of the closer, closest consensuses I think we've seen so far. Yeah. From then onwards, I don't know, because I enjoy them all for different reasons. It's it's hard because I, I, I think... The uh, as much as I have been praising it this whole time, Curse might be my second least favorite just because I don't think it's got as much to offer as the others in terms of a Chucky movie. I'm a big fan of it, obviously, as the last hour or so of talking as <laughs> as going to show. But I think that might be, yeah, number two. After that, probably Seed. It's fun. I enjoy Seed a lot, but there's definitely some issues with that film. After Seed, I'm probably going to have to go for Child's Play 2, which is surprising that it's come so high, but I really do like the character of Kyle and I like what they introduced with that movie. The final action set piece is ridiculous, but a lot of fun. So yeah, 2. Then I'll probably go for Cult then Bride, and then number one has to be the original because it's a classic. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, I, everyone has has very specific and very different rankings so far, but I think generally I'm seeing a lot of seed and three towards the end and then mm. one and Bride towards the top, which I is interesting because Bride and seed follow each other directly <laughs> that it's like it's such a such a a shift there from one to the other so yeah that's that's solid list it's and as you were saying i think 
it's not that three is bad. It's that three is, is the least interesting. Yeah. If that, if that makes sense. it's the most standard horror sequel of, of the bunch I'd say. And uh, even two brings some new elements to it. I think Kyle being probably the most notable addition to the mythos, uh, especially now that they're going to be bringing her back for the show mm. and everything, but, but cool. So yeah, I think that's pretty much all we have on on Curse of Chucky. Thank you so much, Sandro, for coming on and and delving into this one with me. Can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Yeah, of course. I am Sandro Felcher everywhere. Uh, great thing about having my name, as I always mention, is that it is available on every social media platform. So yeah, I am at Sandro Felcher. That's S A N. S-A-N-D-R-O-F-A-L-C-E on Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd, all of the social media platforms. I'm there. I do not take Twitter seriously at all, but you can follow me there if you want. And uh, yeah, the podcast is oldie, but a goodie. It's on everything. I, I, I don't think there's any platforms we're not on. If there are, let me know and I'll add it. But yeah, that show is on everything. And we will be looking to get you back soon as well, actually. I'm sure when we r- wrap up recording, I'll... I'll put you into our schedule again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That would be great. And you're, you're definitely welcome back here anytime. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to not let this franchise detours podcast solely be horror. But I, at this point, as of this recording, I've decided that I did actually did a Twitter poll that I'm going to be doing Evil Dead after this oh. one. And so at some point, I will do Elm Street. If you have interest in Elm Street, I will definitely put, keep you in mind for that because. That's mm. a whole other. That's a whole other ball of wax. As as long as it's not the dream child, I am on board. <laughs> nice. Well, what about Freddy's Dead, the Final Nightmare? You're the one that you seem to be such a huge. Fan. It's <laughs> it's it's fine. I, I think I think Freddy's Dead is slightly better than Dream Child, just because Rachel Talalay directed it, and uh, yeah. she's directed some of my favorite episodes of Doctor Who. So that's the only reason why it's slightly better. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll figure it out. Thanks, Sandra. No worries, thank you. Big thanks to Sandra Fauci from Oldie But a Goodie for coming on to discuss 2013's Curse of Chucky. This was a really interesting one to talk about uh, because, like I said in the episode, it did feel quasi like a reboot, and I think it was only maybe the second or third in the franchise that I had seen at this point. So the way that Mancini found a yet another entry point into this franchise I think is really interesting. And as you heard me say, I really love the character of Nika. So very excited to see what they do on the Chucky television show. However, we have one more episode. Next episode, we're going to talk about 2017's Cult of Chucky, where we'll get more into Nika, Andy, Chucky, Tiffany, and company, and really put a, the capper on this uh, this big screen run that Chucky's been doing. What did you think of Curse of Chucky? Is this an underrated installment in the Child's Play series? Or is this one that you actually still haven't gotten to? Don't be ashamed. We all uh, Hopefully this could be the catalyst to get you to finally go and check these out. Uh, as of this recording, these guys are all pretty much, except for the first film, on Peacock. Yes, you can get a free account. Yes, I would recommend doing so. A lot of good content on there, so check that out. But reach out to me on Twitter, at Crooked Table. It's the same handle on Instagram and via email at robert at crookedtable.com. We'll be back, as I said, with Cult of Chucky and the big finale of the Child's Play film franchise thus far. And for now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Stay crooked, everyone.
This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED.